All right. Good morning to everybody. Hopefully everybody is getting on. I'll kind of want to have a couple of announcements for you this morning, uh, which is great news, uh, actually. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to begin to have our normal church services. And the only difference is going to be that we've been doing our Facebook Live at 10 o'clock, but we're going to move back to our normal time frame, which will be 1045. Uh, we also want you to know this, that uh, we don't want you to feel any pressure to be here. Uh, if you're still uncomfortable with coming together and meeting together, we're going to continue with the Facebook online. Uh, so feel free to, to be able to watch at home still. But if, if you're up to it and want to come, then we want to encourage you to be here for that. We'll be practicing all the th guidelines that they have. There's a place where you can use hand sanitizer, et cetera, and all those things. But uh, I'm looking forward just to, to having the saints here. Uh, and to, to preach and to speak to you and just to, to worship with you together. And uh, we just sang a little song together this morning, and, and what a joy that was just to have a moment of, of worshiping with uh, some other saints here this morning. It was great. Um, there will be no uh, Wednesday night Bible services yet, and there is no Sunday school services yet. We'll, we'll build that into things as we uh, just move along. Uh, but one other thing before we get into the message this morning, I, I hope that we as a church understand this, that, and from just your pastor's heart, I want you to know that I don't want us to go back to normal. Uh, I, that's, that's the last thing that I want us to do. I don't want us to go back to normal. I hope we understand that this is a wake-up call for God's people. Uh, we, are, we are living in a day that, that things are changing so rapidly, and we need to be busy about the Father's work. Uh, because there, there, I, I believe that, that this was just a, a dry run for things to come, uh, and the church needs to be carrying on with the name of Jesus Christ. I want to thank all of you for being so faithful, uh, with encouraging words, uh, watching the services online, continuing to support the ministries of the church, uh, getting letters from missionaries and saying how much that they appreciate uh, our church supporting them, uh, even though uh, there have been difficult times financially across the country. So we are grateful for that. Now, this morning, you can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 5. That's where we're going to continue our study. You'll remember that we're continuing. Last week, we spent our entire time just talking about verse 1. And before we get into the scriptures, let's pause and pray uh, and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to be the one who teaches us this morning, because in reality, it is the Spirit of God who does the teaching. He takes the Word of God, He quickens it, He makes it alive to us, and, and it doesn't matter if it's going through the airwaves, Facebook Live, or whatever it is, or for those uh, a couple of folks that are here with us this morning, uh, hey, it, it is the Holy Spirit that does the teaching. So um, let's just pray and ask God's blessing on this time, I ask His blessing on His Word, and then we'll, uh, I think you'll walk away blessed uh, if you pay attention to what the Word says today. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you once again uh, for being such a gracious and holy and righteous God. Lord, as I've just studied through this, Lord, uh, it just makes me want to be in heaven so much. Uh, to be able to see you in all of your splendor and your glory. Lord, to be set free from the, just the fetters of a, of a sin and life, God. But Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you give us insight for the things that are going to happen. We thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice as the church as you, Lord, open these seals up and, and bring judgment to the world that the church 
is with you in heaven. We thank you for these things. Now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, uh, that you would help us to understand as we listen. And because you have declared that there is a blessing for those who read and do the word that is written here, Lord, we expect a blessing today that comes from you. And we pray that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to get into finishing up this chapter. So we're going to be covering verses 2 through 14 today. And a lot of information. Uh, I think you'll be blessed with it. This is, this is really one of the uh, messages that we're still able just to see the glory of Christ here encouraging. <clears throat> and beginning next week, we begin to see the seals being opened up. And there is a big change in that. And it, it is a, a terrible time that comes upon the earth. But again, let me just kind of rehearse a few things for you that we went over last week. Last Sunday, we learned that the, the scroll that we, we saw in verse 1 is a, a title deed. It is in the, in the hand of God. Uh, it, John sees his hand coming out from the throne and holding the scroll. And it's the title deed to the earth. We saw that both Ezekiel and Daniel had some knowledge of the scroll as well. I'm amazed in, in a, a regard to how that God uh, just integrates the scriptures together from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I, I think it was Dr. Chuck Messler who, who said that there is the, the um, uh, architecture of, of the scriptures, that God just builds those things together in there. But we saw in particular for Ezekiel, he said that this scroll was one that was of lamentation, mourning, and woe. Uh, that's, a, that's exactly what we're fixing to find out as these seals are broken. It is lamentations, it is mourning, and it is woe because God is bringing judgment on this world. Uh, let me just say something along those lines. We never need to apologize for God bringing judgment to man. Uh, God does not need us to step in and say, oh, it's terrible that, that he brings judgment. That is God's prerogative because he is the one who has made the earth. He owns the earth, and therefore he can do anything with that earth that he chooses to do. We learned this, that this book is pronouncing judgment on a rebellious world that is under the temporary rule of Satan. Look, when we look at the things going on in this world, it can be become very discouraging. It can become very discouraging looking at the things that are going on in our country, but it should not surprise us because according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 4, verse 4, that Satan is the God of this world. Uh, and that is the whole point. Now here's this title deed in the hand of God, and, and it is needing someone who can take that title deed. We learned also that there were seven... Um, seals on this scroll and that rather than describing the uh, the what the uh what that title deed encompasses what what the scroll does is it it teaches us that god is going to with each seal that is broken he is describing how he is going to take back what is rightfully his this morning the point of what we're getting to and this is part two of worthy is the lamb is we're going to find out who is worthy to take that scroll and redeem the earth. Now, as a reminder, let me also say this, that we find no mention of the church on earth after chapter 3. 
Now, that ought to be reassuring. I, I've had folks this week and saying, are we going to be in heaven during this time of, of tribulation on the earth? Absolutely, we are going to be in heaven. And I just want to remind you that the church is there seeing complete uh, worshiping the Lord, and we'll see her there again this morning. So here are the points this morning. If you write down and take notes, uh, we have three of them this morning. This morning's message, we're going to see the quest for the worthy one. We're going to see the revelation or the revealing of the worthy one. And then finally, we're going to see the worship of the worthy one. So the quest, the revelation, and the worship of the worthy one. So we look, number one, to our, our first point, and we find that in verse 2. Let's read that together of chapter 5. And it says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? So what we find in just the, the, the quest for the worthy one is this. Let me just back up for a moment in, in that. There, there, when we look at this, it's important to understand that the one who is worthy to make that claim really has three criteria that he needs to meet. Uh, he really needs to, to be worthy to open that book uh, or that scroll. Uh, he really needs to be one that is also able to do that. And then third, he must be willing to do it. So he's got to be worthy to do it, he's got to be able to do it, and he's got to be willing to do it. So with that in mind, we see this, this angel making this, this proclamation, a strong angel. And we don't know exactly who the angel is, but perhaps it's Gabriel, we don't know. And it's, in, in reality, it's not that important, because if it was important, the Lord would have told us who it was. But what he wants to get across to us and why it's important is, is that his voice is heard from the ends of uh, through the end of eternity, it goes across all the expanse of the universe and crying out for one who is worthy uh, to open. It says, who is worthy to open that book and loose the seals thereof? And he speaks with an authority uh, when he says that it is with a loud voice. That's what it, it means there, that he's speaking with an absolute authority, calling for someone who is worthy to make the claim and open the scroll that John has described for us that we really looked at in detail last week. And so here, just imagine that, you know, John is, is setting, he's looked at the hand of God, uh, he's, he's seen all that is going on around, uh, going back into chapter 4, seeing all the events that are transpiring around the throne. Now this angel comes out, really just in, in a loud, authoritative voice cries out and said, is there anyone who is able to take this book and open it. Now, if we look at verse 3 together, and it says, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. So after this angel makes this proclamation, and, and just get this, here is all this activity that has been going on. We saw the elders and, and the, the four beasts fall down and, and the angels of heaven and, and worshiping of the Lord in chapter 4. And, and all of that has been going on. Now this angel makes this, this proclamation and saying, who is worthy? And after he does that, there is a deafening silence in heaven. There's nothing, not a sound, not, not a sound stirs and if we think about this, that there is no person 
who could answer that call. Not any of the greatest men of faith out of the Old Testament, none of the greatest men of the New Testament or women, let's say throw the women in there because some great men and women out of both of Old Testament and New Testament, no person, human, is able to answer that call. By the way, Hitler couldn't make that call. Hussein couldn't make that call. Uh, no president of the United States could make that call. Listen, there is not a human being that has ever lived that was able to say, I can take and I have the authority Authority to claim the earth no one no angel it not not an angel in heaven not an angel uh, uh, an evil angel not the strongest Michael who was the warrior angel and not Satan could answer that call I like what John MacArthur has said quote a search of the entire universe from hell to heaven and all points in between turns up no one worthy to open the scroll amazing thought there if it just stopped there this would be a problem but if we look at verse 4 of chapter 5 it says this john speaking and he says and i wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon. When we look at verse 4, what we see here is a staggering display of grief from John. It, it says that John wept much. And this weeping that, that we see here is the same weeping that we saw with Peter after he had betrayed his Lord. It was an uncontrollable controllable sobbing. It wasn't just a couple of tears. It was just, just unbridled grief sobbing as he looked and saw that there was no one to open that book. It is a sorrow that is driven by despair. And you say, well, well what do you mean? Why is it driven by despair? Listen. Every time I've ever done a funeral, it doesn't matter who I've ever done one for, I am touched with a moment of grief for the family. And every time that we have buried someone that we love, even if they're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a certain amount of grief. There is a certain amount of grief in this world because of sin. As, a, as overall, there, there are unknowns in this world. There, there is grief because we know that even as Christians, we, we disappoint the Lord. And I think that, that John looked at that and said, if there is no one who is able to redeem this world and bring back what God intended it to be, even though heaven awaits, folks, this world is filled with sorrow and grief. And that's what John was crying out. He was displaying the grief of every parent that is born a child that maybe died early. Every child that has buried a parent. Everyone that's lost somebody in an accident or war. His sorrow was that sorrow. His grief displays the grief of seeing sin in a broken world. But thanks be to God. We have a Savior, not only for heaven, but we'll see here in just a moment 
not only just in heaven, but we have a Savior that has the answer for us right now as well. And that's where we find the, the revelation of the worthy one. The revelation of the worthy one. That's our point number two. And we find that in verses 5 through 7. Let me read those to you, and then we'll kind of go back and unpack uh, each of those verses a little bit. But uh, verse 5 says this, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... And of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Now, folks, there's a lot going on here, and we don't want to miss that because it, it, it ought to make you, if you're home, uh, you ought to, and you're in your recliner, you ought to at least kick one leg up a little bit when we get finished with this. And if you're here, don't be afraid to say amen. So here's what's going on. Number one is the, the revealing of that one who is worthy. Uh, it, and we find this in the comfort that comes from the elder. We see that in, in verse 5, and it says, One of the elders, one of the elders of the 24 elders, comes to John, and he says to him, really, it's an emphatic command. He says, Stop weeping, right? Stop weeping. Now, we can understand John in his weeping, but his weeping was a bit premature. He hadn't seen the overall, the big picture of what was going on, but the elder gives him this command to stop weeping. Listen, if you and I were to have to remain in this world in the state that it is in, then yes, there should be some weeping. But I have good news for you this morning. We only need to look to Jesus to realize there is no need to weep because we realize what John realized what was fixing to happen. And, and so I, I can tell you this, I, I thought that uh, of just when, when death comes for the Christian, yes, there is a time of weeping, but folks, listen, if we look beyond that just a little bit, if we look and see the joy that they're fixing to anticipate, and for us as people on this earth, right now, the way that things are in this world, and, and by the way, can I just tell you something? These things have been happening throughout all of history. We are not unique to the problems that are going on in this world. They've always been happening, but I think that we're seeing an escalation of these things begin to happen. They're coming quicker uh, more and more often, which is a great sign for the believer in Jesus Christ because it means that our redemption is getting closer. Great place for an amen or hallelujah. So when we look at this, just realize that what that the comfort that that elder gives he says listen stop weeping oh open your eyes up and can i just say for us this morning don't despair don't let grief take you down don't let despair take you down take a look and see what is fixing to transpire and what we see is the elder points to the lion of the tribe of judah and that is the answer for everything in eternity it is the lion of the tribe of judah this really comes straight out of genesis chapter 48 and verses 8 through 10 but especially verse 10 to where it says that this blessing that that is being pronounced on on his son judah 
he says that the, the scepter will not depart from you. It was speaking prophetically that there's coming a day that that lion of the tribe of Judah was going to control everything that goes on in this world and in the universe. Now, I don't know about you, but what a, what a comforting thing it is to know. Listen, despite corona, despite uh, the way that things are in the world, despite the threat from the Chinese, no matter what is going on, our God, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is absolutely in charge. And John sees him now as the one who has prevailed, who is able to open the books. Look at what that, that elder says. He says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. It's not that he's going to prevail. He already has prevailed. In other words, he's overcome. And, and therefore, you and I are able to rejoice in that this morning. He goes on. Now, let, let me pause here for a moment because this is important. We now see a, a way, before we, we've seen Christ described to the churches in very unique fashion. Now we're going to see how Jesus Christ is identified in a very Jewish nature. You're going to start to see him, as we see here this morning, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb. These are very Jewish. Well, why is that? Well, the church is already gone. The church is in heaven now, and now comes the outreach where God has promised that he is going to redeem his people Israel, and primarily while he is bringing judgment on this world, he is also bringing judgment to Israel, but there's going to be a point that they're going to turn, they're going to recognize who he is, and they will recognize the one whom they have pierced, and that all of Israel will be saved at some point. What a great, great thing. By the way, this does away with the whole concept that the church has taken the place of the nation of Israel. The church has not taken the place of Israel. Israel has its own place in history. And God is about to deal with them. He is called further the root of David. That is another messianic title. You will remember last week in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, it says that in these end times, it says that people will run to and fro and that they will increase in knowledge. Now, I've heard people say, well, that, that is about people traveling. That's not about people traveling. That is about the end times. It's about the, the 70th week. It is about that tribulation period, and it is about people running to and fro trying to figure out what in the world is going on, and because they are searching for the truth, God says some of them are going to find the truth. They're going to increase in knowledge. Well, that is why I believe we start to see in particular uh, that, that we see the Jewish names of Messiah, uh, that we see the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, uh, the Lamb of God, because now the Jew is going to say, now wait a minute, I, that makes sense. I'm starting to see now he is talking to us, and we'll see coming in the future the 144,000 uh, Jews who are sealed for God's uh, evangelistic work and, and that uh, we'll see a huge gathering of saints through the work of those, those anointed ones. Now, so they're looking for answers. They're going to get it. According to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, they will understand that it's the one whom they've pierced is their Savior. Jesus is getting ready to sit on his throne and reign from Jerusalem. You know, by the time we get to here, in history, and, and John's seen in the future. He's there, right? He is seeing that Christ is readying himself 
to come back, reclaim the earth, and rule this earth for a thousand years from the throne in Jerusalem. He has been with the Father, now he comes back, and he rules on that throne. Not only does he see him as the lion, the root of David, messianic titles, but he sees them also as the lamb in verse 6. Now, what the Jew was looking for in his first advent is they were looking for what he is going to be in his second advent. He, he is the king. He is the sovereign. He is the ruler who will come and take by force what is rightfully his. You know, sometimes we, we need to remember that this king, this Jesus, this lion of the tribe of Judah, we saw him on this earth before, meek and humble. Folks, when he comes back, he will be one who rules with an iron fist. Make no mistake, he is the one who is unleashing fury on this earth. And we'll discover that as we see that he opens these seals. He is the one who is in control of bringing judgment to this unrepentant world. It is not Satan who is turning loose his wrath. It is God who is turning loose his wrath. Now, verse 6, it says this, And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. John sees this lamb in verse 6. Here is the, at the throne of heaven, the four beasts, the elders. He's right in the midst of all of that activity that is going on. And we're down. Okay, so I, once again, I think we've had, you know, the little gremlin get in the, the situation here and, and cause a few problems. Let me, let me just kind of recap where we were at. We were in verse 6 talking about the lamb <clears throat> who is at the throne. He is there, the, the four beasts, the 24 elders are surrounding uh, him, all of this activity. And what I want us to see in this is that he is the center of that activity. Can I, can I tell you what? Folks, in churches, and I know we understand this here at Westside Baptist, that Christ is not in the rearview mirror. Christ is not peripheral. Christ is center to everything that we do. As a matter of fact, that is the purpose of the church. He is central. He is to be the one that we uplift in everything. He is to be glorified in everything. And if you need evidence of that, you only need to look at this and see, here is the Lamb who is at the center of everything that is going on. Further, it says that he is standing. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that he is in control. No longer is he setting. Now he is standing. He is in control, and he is fixing to take charge. Now, I had to say something to my friends up in Wyoming. I don't know if you caught that little bit there, but I said he is fixing to do it. That's right. I have been indoctrinated fully with the Southern culture. He is fixing to do that. He is getting ready to, to take back what is his. He is getting ready to unleash. Listen, can I just say he is getting ready to unleash his fury on the world. He said that he had been slain. Note that his past. He had been slain. The scars there are visible. What the armies of Satan and the demonic and wicked men assumed would be the end now stands 
with visible reminders that he was dead, but he is now alive. Isn't that great? I mean, isn't that awesome? I thought of even this, this, whole, this whole stuff that we've been going through. I hate to even use some of the wording that's out there now. But I believe what some people saw, hey, great, this is an opportunity. We can shut the church down. Can I tell you what? We have reached more people through what we've been doing over the last two months than we ever dreamt possible. We go back to when we taught about the prayer of Jabez, that we prayed God would expand our borders, and he expanded our borders. And so I'm grateful for that. He is in charge. He says that he has seven horns, and those seven horns symbolize strength and power. And the number seven there indicates it is absolute power. Listen, Jesus doesn't have just a... Are we down again? No. I can't wait until next week. All right, I think, I think we're back again. Uh, no, no explanation for the problems we're having today because it's a beautiful day outside. But let me pick back up. We were at the seven horns uh, that are described, uh, John describes as this, this lamb having. And the, the seven horns symbolize strength and power. Uh, the number seven indicates absolute power. Uh, we could say that that would be the omnipotence of the Lord. He, he is... He is all-powerful, and, and that uh, absolute, again, that Christ doesn't have just a little bit of power. Christ has all power, all right? Second thing that we see there is the seven eyes, and the seven eyes represent the omniscience, the all-knowing. He knows every single thing. Uh, th that's what's amazing to me is, is somehow, somehow people think that they're getting away with something when Jesus Christ is all-knowing. He knows Every secret of every man, every woman, there is nothing that will not be overturned. There is nothing that will not come into the light at some point. I am so grateful as a Christian that that, that has been covered by this blood of the Lamb. He is the all-knowing. He is, he is omniscient. And then we see the seven spirits that is described in, in verse 6. And that is representative of him being omnipresent. Uh, there is no place... No place that his judgment will not reach. Now, you remember that the seven spirits represent the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing when you think about it now, we have the Holy Spirit who is here now and, and he convicts the world of righteousness and, and sin uh, and judgment. But there is coming a point that the Holy Spirit is going to be involved in the actual judgment and the sending out the judgment of, of this world. So the culmination is now that we see the one who is worthy. He's not only worthy, but he is able. Not only is he is able, he is willing, and he takes the scroll from the Father's hand, and he is now ready to execute judgment in his reclamation of his creation. Man's day ends, and the king's day begins. What the first Adam had lost, the second Adam is ready to restore. Isn't that great? I mean, that's why when we read the book of Revelation, listen, it says it comes with a blessing, and it is a blessing for us, those who know Jesus Christ, because we see what is about to transpire. Now, so we have seen the quest for the worthy one. We've seen the, the revelation or the revealing of the worthy one. Now let's look at the worship of the worthy one. And we find that in verses 8 through 14. Let me read that. Uh, and... Um, let me find it and read it. 
And it says, uh, verse 8, And when they had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take this book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us unto God by the blood of, our, of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And it has made us unto uh, our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. In other words, you couldn't number them saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. So what will we see? What do we see here going on? Well, we're seeing the worship of that one who is worthy. All fall down and worship him. You know, it's one thing that, that we, when we think that we get to heaven, and the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to want to see uh, our loved ones. Folks, I'm going to tell you what, I think that's later on, later on down the line. Because the first thing that we're going to want to do is we're going to want to fall down before that one who has redeemed us. And we're just going to be in absolute awe of who he is. We've got all eternity uh, to rejoice with the rest of the saints. But when they hear, when they hear that he is worthy, when they see him take that scroll out of the Father's hand, what they, they don't say is, is finally it's going to be made for us. No, what they say is worthy is the Lamb. All of it goes to Him. All of the glory goes to Him. All the focus is placed on Jesus Christ. We find that there are harps there, and these harps are both symbolizing prophecy and worship. And, and what it really is talking about here is this perfect worship because prophecy is fulfilled. It says they, they, you know, they're, they're throwing those out and, and saying, singing to him, saying, this, uh, let me back up and verse 8, it says, Lamb, uh, that all of them having harps and golden vials and odors, which are the prayer of the saints. So these, these uh, if, if you're wondering what that means, it's simply that harps are associated with worship and harps were also, and don't have time to go into it this morning, uh, that the harps are associated with prophecy. But what we're finding is all the prophecy that we have been giving, given through the Old Testament and the New Testament is now culminating in the fact that Christ has taken that scroll and he's about to reclaim what is his. He not only has that, but there are golden vials and it says that those are the prayers of the saints. It's the prayers of the saints that cry out to God and and. and Pray and say, Lord, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Take back your creation. Make right what has been wrong. So you have this worship of the Lord. All the prayers which are, are rise up to God as, as, a, as a savory smell in his nostrils that is an act of worship. When we pray and say, even so, Lord Jesus, listen, there's coming a point. We're going to see that happen, and he's going to come back. Your prayers are not empty. 
When you're asking and saying, God, come, make it right. Come, Lord Jesus. You, you're able to see in, the, you see in the future here. We're able to look ahead right now and see the prayers that you have prayed are cast before him in worship of him. That's an awesome thought. All prophecy that has been prayed is about to be fulfilled as that worthy one takes the scroll. Then they break out in a new song. It says, you know, I, I, I thought of that as I was looking at in, in the scriptures this week, and it reminded me that we as God's people are privileged to sing to him, not only now, but through all eternity. You know, I, I'm always amazed that, that, that people who can come to a church service and will sit like a lump on a stump and not sing praises to God. It's a privilege to do that. It's not a right. It's a privilege to do that. And the first thing that the saints do when they, when they see Christ take that scroll, it says they break out into a new song of worship. Imagine that moment when all of heaven breaks out in chorus to the Lord. Verse 9 says that they sing a new song. Why do they sing a new song? Well, listen, I'm just going to use we. Why do we sing this new song? Because we're going to be there. Well, we're going to sing this new song because he is worthy to break the seals. It ought to make us happy right now that he is worthy to break the seals. We sing because he has redeemed us by his precious blood. That's why we come and worship. Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you what. Uh, Ann and I were listening a couple of weeks ago about, to young people, and they were talking about the importance of what goes on in the church. You know what the first priority? I, I was impressed with these young people. The first priority that all of them said was that they wanted to hear the preaching of God's word. And secondary was worship in song. It's important, they said, but what we sing is not as important as how, what we're actually singing to the Lord. I think that's important. Here we get to sing and we, we sing this new song because he has redeemed us by his precious blood. We sing because of what he has made us. It says that he has made us to be kings and priests. Do you recognize that? Isn't that cool? I mean, we are kings and priests. And the Bible says that there are, there are three groups of people that have been classified as kings and priests in the Bible. There was Melchizedek, right? out of the Old Testament, there is Jesus Christ who is king priest, and then there is you and me who are king priest. But what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that you and I are going to rule and reign with him throughout all eternity. Now, I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know how that's going to play out, but somehow we're going to be involved in that, that government of eternity. And, and that's, again, privilege, and we ought to rejoice in that. But second, don't, don't miss this second part of being a priest, because being a priest, it means that we have eternal access to God for service and worship. That's what a priest did. Study the Old Testament. It's a picture of, of somebody going in and continually serving God. And, and in this case, it will be unhindered access to always come in, serve and worship him throughout all of eternity. Here's a moment of worship that is beyond our understanding. To me, it is so easy to see the blessing that comes with the reading of this book. You know, I think back of John Calvin, you know, one of the reformists, and, and he didn't write on Revelation much at all. Man, he missed, he missed a lot because this book is awesome. The more I read it, the more it inspires me. 
the more it encourages me, the more just think of that word encourage, it, it gives me more courage to be bold about the faith, to proclaim the name of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the line of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain and now is alive, the one who is worthy to take the book and open that book. Can I encourage you this morning, if you were a follower of Christ, just listen to what the Word has said today. There's going to be a day that you and I will be exactly where we've described. The church will be standing before the Lord as all of this transpires. And when He takes that book, you and I, we will be there. What I've just described, we will be there. And we're going to break out with this new song. You ought to get used to it because it's going to be one that we'll sing through eternity. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for me. Worthy is the Lamb who is able and willing to take this book and open it. Be encouraged by that saint. Can I tell you, though, if you're listening this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the good news is that you can be. The bad news is if you don't, that there's coming a time on this world that Ezekiel said is lamentation, mourning, and woe. If you think the coronavirus is bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. It is going to be a horrible time to be on this earth, and you don't want to be here. And I want to encourage you to turn to Christ. Place your faith in Him. Trust in Him because He is the only one who is able to save you because He is God come into flesh, lived a sinless life on this earth, died on a cross for you, and all that would turn to him in repentance, trusting in him and him alone. He says, all who call on him, he will save. Be like that sinner who beat his chest and said, have mercy on me, a sinner, O God. Have mercy. You see, you're not, you're not really asking Jesus into your life. What you're doing is you're asking Jesus to have mercy on you, a sinner. But if you will come with a contrite heart, the Bible says he will grant you salvation. If you have questions, listen, you can reach us here at Westside Baptist Church. You can give us a call. You can get it on the website. There should be a link on our Facebook page where you can get our website. Uh, you can send us an email. You can give us a phone call, either one. Or better yet, if you're in our, in our viewing audience here that's local, uh, next Sunday at 1045, you come to church. And if you have questions, we have a group of people here who would love to sit down with you and explain the truth out of the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us. We pray, God, that we're encouraged by what we have heard this morning and that you would be glorified for your namesake. We pray these things in Jesus. Amen.